0: In episode 14 of Mobycast, John and Chris explain why you should stop worrying about cloud lock-in. Welcome to Mobycast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in.
1: Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another MobiCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to hear your voices. Um, so, We've got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about this week. I wanted to cover a little bit that we left on the table last week, and um, also some new stuff. So we're going to skip with the fun part where we talked about what we did last this week, and just jump right in. Um, so last week we talked about serverless, and we mostly spent our time talking about Lambda. And then after after we finished recording, I was like, "Hey Chris, I don't really know anything about Fargate, but it sounded really exciting." Um, so Chris, so let me just say that to you again, but this time on air, Chris, I don't really know anything about Fargate, but it sounds exciting. Are we going to start using that? Hmm, that's a, that's
2: an interesting question, John. I haven't heard that one before. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no,
2: it, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it it's, it's, it's interesting, um, cause it definitely builds on the whole serverless thing. Um, Fargate is essentially a uh, serverless ECS. So currently with, um, ECS is the orchestration platform, uh, offered by Amazon for running your Docker containers um, on a on a on a cluster of of EC2 nodes, um, we use that quite heavily. And um, given that all of our software runs in containers, um, Fargate is um, something relatively new. It was announced at reInvent um, this past November. Um, had been in beta for a while. It's now actually um, it's now live um, in many in many region, in multiple regions. And what it is is it's um basically all the benefits of e c s but you no longer have to manage your 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 cluster nodes anymore um it's basically here's my you basically say "Here's my container and a w s you take care of it you you find the the hardware for it um you run my container um and I don't have to worry about that I don't have to worry about like scaling out a cluster or patching my servers or um anything like that so so
1: that sounds awesome. why don't we just do that <laughs>
2: So it, it does sound awesome if those those kind of problems that it solves were like actual real big problems. Um, and I would just say from the experience of, of having used ECS in production now for two and a half years, I think it is, um, I can say that uh, one of the, the great benefits of ECS and, and containers in general um, has been that like, the actual management overhead of, of dealing with your, your cluster resources is, is actually really minimal. Um, I'm, I'm now at the point where I probably spend maybe once a month or maybe every other month doing some, some maintenance on, on my ECS, the, the cluster resources. Um, it's very little, it's very little overhead. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of time to get it set up, but even getting it set up, um, like once you um, just understand the the details of how to do that, it's like it's a half a day to to go from from zero to zero to hero um, <laughs> with ECS, right? So um, as another example, like um, just uh, you know last week, I ended we have four different clusters set up in ECS, um, all with um, many, many host nodes inside each one of those clusters. Um, wanted to upgrade to the latest um, AMIs um, to bring in new security patches, also get new ECS agent software on there, and then swap out some of our um, some of the stuff that we do in um, uh, initialization of of hosts and their and our user data script. So I ended up um, kind of making those changes. I basically shot every single one of those those hosts in the head, rebuilt brand new ones, spun them all up. And that was probably a total of four hours to rebuild four clusters with brand brand new machines with all the latest and greatest so i don't know four hours um every two months um not much in the way of investment and then the benefits of of running your own um uh e c s clusters are um one is definitely more economical um so fargate is definitely um For the most part, it's going to be more expensive using Fargate than it is
1: running it on um, your own uh, ECS cluster hardware. Which blew my mind when you said that because I thought, wait, if Amazon gets to decide how they use their hardware and they don't give you any access to it, then shouldn't that be cheaper? Can't they do some optimizations that lower prices? But apparently not. Yeah and, and
2: who who knows what the what the strategy is for for pricing and and whether this reflects the actual cost for them and it actually is more expensive that for them to offer it this way um and uh, or if they're kind of viewing this as like hey we're adding um more value here and right. this is worth a, worth a premium right so we're, sure. we're pricing at a premium so time will tell whether you know pricing comes down and and that inflection point happens where it's actually more affordable to run on Fargate than it is on your own dedicated hardware. But you can also do great things like your EC2, um, your ECS clusters can take advantage of spot instances um, and reserved instances. So there's lots of stuff you can do there. I'm sure that like if, if cost is your, is your issue, um, you're, you're going to win out um, using a normal ECS as opposed to Fargate. You also have a lot more um, control and insight um over like just the service um capabilities of, of of what's running on. So like, you know, what's the do you have warm-up time when spinning up containers in Fargate? Um kind of like you do in Lambda? Uh mm-hmm. do, you know, mm-hmm. are you queued behind other folks? Like is it um other services? So like are you gonna get kind of a, a more um jagged um kind of a response time pattern to to your to your jobs versus if you're running your own your own cluster like you know exactly what's kind of running on there and and, and you can kind of have uh, yeah, much more insight into that there's also issues with you know just application architecture and sidecar containers and logging and making sure all that works and it's just um, uh, it, for the time being it feels like a lot of that you just have a lot more control it's a lot easier it's a lot uh, more integrated when you're running it on uh, your own ECS cluster as opposed to Fargate
1: so this is a, that, that was like a downright commercial for ECS. We should get some primetime spot and put it on there. <laughs> but, um, but that is a good segue into the next rest of our conversation, which, which I, I think I'll call how I learned to stop worrying about cloud lock-in and just do my job. So ECS is, uh, obviously it's very specific to Amazon, AWS. And if you use it, you know, you're a little bit locked in and all the other things that you might use on AWS lock you in further and further. But when I was at Glucon a few weeks ago, um, it was weird. You know, I, I brought this up a few weeks in a, in a couple of podcasts ago, but um, I just could not have a conversation with anybody that worked at a company um, of any size whatsoever and not have the idea of cloud locking come into the conversation. I was not even, I, I, I'm not interested in talking about cloud locking, but somehow everybody was talking about it. Every single talk, featured it in some way. All these companies were talking about how they had features that um, in their products that helped prevent cloud lock-in. And it was just like, it was, it might as well call it the cloud lock-in comp. So, I don't know, just to get to this conversation a little bit um, uh, and go a little deeper, maybe, Chris, you can, you. when we talked about this before, you talked about one of the ways that, that people arrive, you know, leave the cloud, arrive at the cloud and leave the cloud. So maybe you can tell us that story again. Sure. Yeah, I would say, you know,
2: for the most part when, um, when starting out, so whether you're a startup or kind of a, um, a, a new group with inside of a bigger company, um, taking advantage of of cloud makes a lot of sense because it's you very quick, very quick startup time. Um, you know, you can, you can have servers up and running in, in a matter of minutes as opposed to months. Um, if you have to go, um, by your own. Um, and also just from a cost standpoint, it's so much more economical, um, to, to run that, that workload in the cloud. Um, and, you know, running in the cloud, you also get a lot of value added services, all the various, um, integration points and, and just all the features that, that are offered by, by all the modern cloud providers. So it ends up being a pretty frugal, uh, <laughs> fertile, um, place to, to, um, you know, get going, ramp up, get to a, to a level of scale. Um, and I think for a lot of folks, like they never get beyond, like they never get to the point where it's like, um, they've grown, they've been so successful. They've grown so much where it now makes sense for them to think about getting off the cloud. Cause, cause there is an inflection point. At some point you scale up enough, you're using enough resources in the cloud where you're now overpaying and it's going to be much cheaper for you to actually re- to run it yourself, to go buy those servers and to have your own data center and to to run it Mm -hmm. on-prem. So that, 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 that's that inflection point. So if you get, if you do get successful enough, if you're running, you know, enough requests through your system, you have a, you know, have a high enough load to justify it. um, Then that's when you take that hard look at it and say, you know what, it's time to have our migration strategy to start moving this off of the cloud and onto our own on-prem data center. But again, like we talked about before, like, if you're at that point, like, like, I mean, you, you're so successful. The capital is there. Like you're, and the financial incentive is there that you'll do it right. It's hard work mm-hmm. it's going to be, you know, and it's going to take a while, but like the financial incentive is there. The capital's there. You're going to do it. Um, So don't worry about lock in from the get go because it just complicates everything. And chances are it's never, it's not going to be an issue for you. And if it is, then that's a, that's actually a great thing and you should be right. really
1: happy about it right and from that perspective, you know cloud lock-in doesn't really matter because um, no matter which cloud you might have chosen, getting off the cloud there, there's no there's no um, AWS on-prem or Google Cloud on-prem or Azure on plan, on-prem like you literally have to decouple yourself from whichever cloud you chose. so um, yeah. You, you've got to do that work no matter what no amount no strategy of of putting yourself on both google and aws would have helped you yes correct yeah correct there, there
2: there there's a little bit of blending there where um like aws does have some stuff where like you can actually run their software on-prem but it, sure. it always requires that tie-in like you're you're still at the end of the day you're you're giving money to aws and mm-hmm. so to actually be fully divested from that. And yeah,
1: obviously there's, there's the, you have to come up with that yourself. And so then there's another path. So that Chris just talked about the path where uh, you're maybe a startup or you're a young company and and you start in the cloud. And then there's this other path that I was seeing quite a bit at Glucon, which is, you know, lots of telecommunications companies, cable companies, healthcare companies, big companies, big, big, you know, kind of monopolistic almost types of companies where, They've been on prem forever, and then they started to get really awful at it. Like now, it takes weeks to rec- requisition a new server, putting up in a new a new environment. And it's just like a headache involving fifteen layers of management. Um, they just can't get anything done, and so they see the cloud as a way to get back to some level of agility. Um, and I think this this does tend to affect a certain kind of company that maybe is not facing very much competition in their market, and they are able to to get to this point without getting crushed by competitors that are more nimble and agile. Um, but, you know, these companies, uh, they might be CenturyLink type companies or charter communications type companies. They, now they want to get on the cloud and management all up and down the line is saying, well, make sure we don't get locked in. We don't want to have that happen to us again. And I wasn't sure they they you know a lot of people had talked about being burned before i I, I should have dug more in it, it, it was just kind of a matter of me not even being that interested in cloud lock-in and, and kind of realizing later that every conversation had involved it um I don't know how they actually got burned before like you're still here you're making a lot of money um, how is it that you were burned from some kind of lock-in in the past. Do you have any guesses of what that might have been, Chris? I mean, I'm just speculating at this point. You you will be too.
2: I I, w- I would guess that um, it's just vendor lock-in in general, right? So, mm-hmm. like these are all companies with 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 probably long histories. Um, you know, lots of IT. They've they've gone through many cycles of of technology. Um, and dealt with many vendors, and they just the length of time. Absolutely. They've, they've worked with vendors before that then go belly up. Right. And then right. they they have to scramble. So, um, it's, this is very much a, a, a strategy for, for, for reducing risk, right. D- sure. Don't, you know, don't have a single dependency, have backups, um, and, you know, multiple, multiple vendors providing that, that, that particular functionality that you need. Um, so that if one does go away or if one does, you know, raise prices um, to a level that you're not comfortable with, then then you have options. So I I think probably that's where that's coming from.
0: Right, I think you're right. So let's crush that notion. Hey, this is Rich. You might recognize me as the guy who introduces the show, but is pretty much silent during the meat of the podcast. The truth is, these topics are oftentimes incredibly complex, and I'm just too inexperienced to provide much value. What you might not know is that John and Chris created the training product to help developers of all skill sets get caught up to speed on AWS and Docker. If you're like me and feel underwater in these conversations, head on over to ProDockerTrading.com and get on the mailing list for the inaugural course. Okay, let's dive back in.
1: What is more, In your opinion, Chris, what is more risky? Having a strategy of deploying to multiple clouds with the same functionality or picking a cloud for those I, I, types of companies? Yeah, I mean, I think just for almost any company, I think like the
2: idea of like building, building a system that can actually run in a hybrid cloud environment is so complicated. It's so much overhead and chances are it's just, it's not going to work optimally. Um, it definitely won't work optimally. I'm very skeptical of that. And whether it works at all, even if it works adequately, would be um, a challenge in and of itself, I think. Um, so I, I would say that. There's yeah, there's 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 probably a lot of risk there as opposed to, you know, just forget about like th- these companies are so big that I think that the so the two concerns might be okay pricing is going to be um, so unfavorable that like it 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 feels like robbery um, or they're just not going to be available anymore they're they're going to go out of business and so I think you just have to look at your your cloud provider and really ask yourself like. How likely is that going to happen? So, um, Amazon, as a company, they don't make much money, right? Like they they've definitely prioritized on on growing their market, um, and I, I mean, they're going to make money based upon volume. So their idea is is, is land and expand. Um, so I don't see them. I don't see a lot of risk in them saying, "Okay, you know, we're going to go and double, triple, quadruple pricing um, for folks." Um, you know, type thing. It just does not feel um, like that's in their their DNA and, and kind of what they're sure. what they're trying to do. And it also it would. It would harm their business. Um, like they would, they would, they would see a dramatic downturn. And for them, it's all about scale, right? Like they're making such huge investments in data centers and, and computer equipment and whatnot. If, if they see a a fall off in usage, then they have a bunch of stuff just sitting around, not being used. And that's fairly costly. So it's not going to behoove them to go, to go raise prices and alienate customers. Um, and then for them, like going out of business, like, like really again, like ask yourself like how likely is that to happen if if a w s went out of business, forget it like our our economy has just collapsed like mm-hmm. there's much bigger problems than your company right <laughs> at that right. point right <laughs> I mean, it literally like it's that would be like i mean just think about that like if a w s went away like what would happen like it would be like the equivalent of like just setting off a bomb um you know in a in a, in a, in a major financial center or something like that.
1: Yeah, and just to pick on one thing that you talked about there a minute ago, you said um, you know it can't run optimally. So I just started to imagine what might you try to architect that's multi-cloud that runs across cloud? So the first thing that came to my mind was well maybe you have some microservices and they're in Node.js and you and you put them on Kubernetes clusters and you've got a Kubernetes clusters over, cluster over in Google Cloud and another one in in AWS. So, and then the first thing that came to my mind is, well, where's the database? If you're going to have a persistent store, is that going to be on the AWS side or is it going to be on the Google side? Um, whichever it's on, the other one is not going to be able, you know, is going to suffer from some latency issues. So that that was one thought that occurred to me. And then and then the other thought that occurred to me was, okay, well, so let's say, you know, we just, we say each microservice has to live in its own cloud, So, but we're going to we're going to sprinkle our microservices around. So these two microservices will be on Google and these two microservices will be on AWS. Um, Again, if those those microservices need to talk to each other, there could be some weirdness and and latency issues and you won't get to take advantage of certain security things that you get like VPCs and and things like that. Um, But also uh, now you just have to have teams that are, that are knowledgeable about both. I mean, At one level, it may seem like it's just compute and it's just, um, you know, DNS and load balancing, but each one of those clouds, even if you're using Terraform, um, you have to know that, you know, you have to know something about the API, something about how to navigate the, the management console, something about, something about specifically how it works and how monitoring works and everything. Like you just, you've just more, you know, more than doubled the, the requirements on your staff in terms of what they need to understand in terms of how their infrastructure runs.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you touched on, I mean, there's just multiple facets there of like the complexity of saying, I want to run in a hybrid cloud environment. So it's application architecture is big. It becomes a big issue. Like how do I do that? Um, for some of the, the exact same scenarios you just talked about, there is the, just the operational ability of it. Like monitoring is going to be different in, in Azure than it's going to be in um, AWS, right? So sure. you have to kind of build that abstraction on top of that to, to give you that insight um, as a whole. And then you have all these cloud providers, like totally different, right? Like I'm seven plus years of AWS experience and I'm still trying to keep up and learn about AWS. Like <laughs> throw Azure on that and throw Google Google Cloud on that. And it's like, whoa, that's a lot, right? Like, you, you need to hire more people, so. Right, um, right it's, it's an all in the name of saying like, I'm not going to be locked into a cloud provider. That's when you have to kind of take a step back and say, it's what, what's the, what's the, what's the worst evil here?
1: You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now having said all this and having made a strong case, I think that we shouldn't be worried about cloud lock in. There is a reality that people are and, and as, as fascinating as we might be and, and as, as persuasive as we might try to be, we can't convince them to not worry about this. So Mm -hmm. Um, and companies are are putting it, you know, at the top of the list of things that they're concerned about. Um, so I think that just just realizing that this is happening and realizing that this is a hot topic is kind of important. And and I think it'll have an interesting effect on the market. You know, my my opinion is that this will have a a commoditizing effect on the market, and I think we're already seeing it today. It'll make APIs more standard across clouds. It'll make the names of things and the hierarchies of, of features more standard, so it could have overall benefits to everyone. Uh, this market pressure, your thoughts, Chris? Maybe,
2: although I, you know, in, in this landscape with AWS being the clear leader, um, and know that they know that both Google and and Microsoft are, you know, breathing down their neck. They want to try to get a market share on them. Um, I, I just don't see how. Like Amazon sees it to their advantage to kind of work together with those to facilitate that stuff. So I, I just see people like Amazon innovating faster and faster and mm-hmm. the others playing catch up. Right. And mm-hmm. so to then try to try to have kind of like industry standards for these
1: things to interoperate, like it becomes it becomes an intractable problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also a good way of looking at it. So yeah, we'll we'll have this conversation again a year from now and see what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that the, that that's probably good. I think we can wrap it up with that. I, I maybe let me give you one more chance to to kind of put a cap on it, Chris. Yeah, I'd I'd say um,
2: you know, maybe the takeaway is definitely um I, my suggestion would be don't worry about uh about cloud lock-in. Um it's when it becomes an issue like it's you're going to have the resources to go deal with that the other thing like if if it really is like something that's that's concerning and you need it um, just as part of an organizational buy off i think maybe the the best approach to that would be to use the proper level of abstraction such that you can have a backup data center in a different cloud provider so don't try to run it concurrently instead just go build your application for one and have it hosted in one cloud provider know what things that are Cloud specific that you are using, those are the things that you would then look at abstracting out. Um, so that if you did need to say, okay, I'm not using that cloud provider, I'm going to another one, you could do it. Um, but that would be again, like it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but if, if that's what you need from an organizational standpoint, then that would be the, my suggestion for going about, going about
1: it. Great. Yeah. Great suggestion. And, uh, thanks again. This has been a fun one. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. See ya. Later. Well, dear listener, you made it to the
0: end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash one four. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.